This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, the penultimate episode of season three. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dr. Christina Sandema Sombe. Um, where to start with this introduction? I've, I've no idea. So um, Christina is part of the editorial board for the CDO magazine, which most of our listeners will will certainly uh, certainly know. Um, also listed in the Global Data Power Women list, part of the Data IQ 100 list, has her own advisory business, advising organizations on data transformation and a whole host of other things. Um, and amidst all of that, has a day job as well, um, where she is the chief data steward for one of the world's most recognized brands. Um, and I guess just a bit of a disclaimer, Christina is here today operating and her views are all her own um but if you want to know where she works just look on linkedin um so um there we go christina thank you very much for for joining us i hope i did that justice <laughs> absolutely did fantastic perfect um so where we always start christina as you know is by asking our guests to give themselves a i guess a brief introduction into their background and i guess journey up until this point in time if you would be so kind yeah, so uh, uh, I'm originally from Zambia, so I immigrated here in 2000 for, for college, uh, believing I would be a medical doctor, uh, and eventually decided to, to change my major to history, <laughs> uh, because I wanted to be better at writing, and my goodness, has that served me well throughout my, my career. Um, leaving my, uh, my uh, bachelor's degree um, at Agnes Scott, I joined a nonprofit called Care International, and uh, worked there for three years uh, in impact measurement and knowledge management uh, and learning. And uh, uh, I left because uh, that was during the, the Great Recession uh, that we had in the 2000s. And so, uh, you know, donor funding had decreased quite substantially. And so I, I was forced to make a career change at that point. Uh, and then I joined Deloitte, which uh, I think ended up being a really uh, interesting uh, move from nonprofits to for profit. Uh, worked there for nine years, uh, started off in knowledge management and progressed into data management, uh, owning taxonomy and reference data globally. Um, and then after nine years with Deloitte, I moved on uh, to uh, Nike, where I became the chief data steward. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I guess, all been history since then. Started my own advisory, joined the CDO editorial board. Um, and most recently, I'm getting a few accolades in, in industry that I greatly appreciate because I, uh, that's definitely been a fun journey for me and one quite unexpected. Yeah, nice. Well, first of all, I mean, what a title, Chief Data Steward. You don't find many of them, right? And um, so keen to 
delve into that just a, a touch more, I guess. Tell us a little bit about the job that you kind of currently do, right? Well, I guess, what is the purpose of you being there as the chief data steward? What are you tasked with achieving? Yeah, I, I, really, I own kind of six things that are around the transformation of the people side of data. Um, and so uh, I think that's a, an area that's often neglected, which is why the title is, um, I guess, uh, newer or uh, uh, uncommon in uh, most uh, companies. But it truly is, I think, the linchpin around um, how do we activate our organizations to treat data as an asset and um, how do we engage our business so that data and analytics isn't just an IT function. It's something that is uh, team sport uh, between IT players and business players, um, you know, to do the right things for their organization, whether that's making them more competitive or, uh, you know, uh, ensuring that they are uh, defensively ready, you know, given uh, the different challenges around regulation um, that are, you know, constantly changing and uh, becoming more challenging to navigate around our data. Um, and so in, you know, as a chief data steward, First of all, uh, people side is how do we um, ensure that um, the entire organization is operating from the same playbook, <laughs> you know, through the creation of policies and standards? And how do we ensure that those policies and standards are actually actionable, operationable? So the creation of the training procedures, templates, uh, you know, you, you, you can think of kind of all of the things that would help a person understand what are the expectations. Um, of them uh, in order to treat their data as an asset. And then in addition to that, it is um, ensuring um, the identification of who is accountable for what data <laughs> um, and documenting that and formalizing it as, uh, you know, in a way that anyone in the organization knows who to go to for whether it's issue remediation, uh, whether it is advancing how uh, you know, the uh, the teamwork goes on <laughs> between the various players that have decision rights over data in, uh, you know, automated workflows, et cetera, um, really being able to, 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 to ensure that processes don't get broken in terms of stewardship in the organization, uh, but also um, uh, ensuring that, uh, you know, it also helps with defensive readiness because auditor comes to your organization and they say, we need to speak to the owners of X and Y data. You shouldn't have to search and try to figure that out uh, by playing telephone through your company, right? That should be formalized. You should know who that is. And it also enables an organization to be able to, um, you know, monitor for, um, you know, for breaks, right? So turnover happens. We expect that, uh, you know, people change roles in an organization. How do we ensure we keep an eye on things to ensure that, we always have stewards overseeing, uh, you know, the care of our data. And then the next, uh, you know, kind of three aspects of, of what I do are really related to knowledge management and change management. So ensuring that um, uh, not only do we have the information collated in, in an authoritative source for people uh, so that they are referencing the same expectations that the organization has uh, for the management of data, but also ensuring that, uh, you know, we can connect people to people, right? So, you know, the organization will mature at different rates. <laughs> we want to make sure that, you know, stewards that are more advanced are able to connect with ones that are less advanced and actually able to help with best practice and nuance and things that are really specific to how an organization operates so that they too can be successful and they can kind of grow in their maturity as well. We want to be able to create, you know, connect people to the technology that they use. So there shouldn't be any guessing. If we have a catalog that is centralized for the entire company, then let's make sure everybody's pointing to that so that we don't have the creation of siloed catalog catalogs uh, for our data, just as an example. Uh, we want to make sure that um, we're also connecting people to the same processes. And so, you know, if you think about, um, you know, the use of the technology to actually demonstrate evidence that you are you know, you, you are managing your data. Uh, you want to make sure that people are doing it the same way and following very similar processes um, that is repeatable. And then you want institutional memory, right? You want to make sure that turnover happens, right? People change role. Uh, you hire new people. You have to stop. How do you upskill people and get them, you know, playing from 
the same expectations uh, as everyone else so that they're not recreating and reinventing. And so that's definitely something that, you know, delivers a, a, a savings on time and probably money, <laughs> uh, you know, as an ROI. And then uh, the change management aspect is like, how do we leverage our executives to be part of the change, right? And make sure that uh, we're driving strategies to enable that. How do we enable data owners um, to be part of the change? And how do we, you know, more broadly just transform, uh, you know, the behavior of the organization um, so that it is supportive of new, new tech, new processes and people taking on new role um, so that they can be most uh, most effective. And then the last piece is around KPIs and metrics. We need to be able to show that we are doing well. And, uh, you know, I would even argue that we want to be able to show that our organization is maturing, right? We want to be able to look at how, you know, different areas are doing so that we know where to intervene um, as an organization. Where do we need to give more support because something is not maturing at a rate that we expect or is not maturing at all? Um, you know, what are those things that we can do proactively to really monitor the health of our environment? So, you know, that's a, it's obviously a pretty large scope, <laughs> uh, but like together it all makes, uh, you know, really, really great sense in terms of how you have to think about um, all of the different aspects of, you know, how change needs to be managed in an organization um, in order for it to really gain traction and scale. Yeah. Hundred percent. So, I mean, there's so much, um, so much in there to to unpack. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. When we first spoke offline, and obviously we were collaborating on, you know, your role, the scope of your role, what you're responsible for, and therefore what type of uh, talking points and, and topic might be, um, you know, good for today's episode. Um, you you mentioned something to me that um, I don't think. I've ever had anyone on the podcast mentioned to me before, and that was about user acceptance, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess to set the scene, a lot of today's conversation is kind of geared around that and then everything that flows off it, right, in regards to culture and change and transformation and adoption and literacy and all of those things that, you know, you normally start talking about when you're trying to talk about how do you, you know, how do you manage your data correctly and how do you therefore get, you know, to, to enable you to drive more value from data analytics initiatives, right? But I guess just to set the scene, very high level for anyone not familiar with the kind of terminology and um, what do you mean specifically by user acceptance and then i guess you know in in context of adoption within data analytics how does that kind of all play together yeah so i mean when we're talking about user acceptance we're really talking about you know the technologies and whether users um, feel comfortable using them are using them you know are they meeting the requirements that uh, we expect them to and then you know, on the adoption side of side, we're really talking about behavior, right? The behaviors that allow people to, to uh, continuously, you know, uh, repeat the, the 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 behavior that you want. Um, and so, you know, in the context of you know data and analytics, uh, you know, I've worked in IT organizations really my 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 entire life, um, and. Uh, one of the the interesting thing is that you know we love our toys, um, and uh, I think especially now we have uh, you know unprecedented rate of you know technology advancement. Everything is shiny. Everything uh, feels like you know it's very difficult to discern you know what to use, uh, you know when to use it, when to upgrade, um, and all of that can cause significant disruption inside an organization as you kind of play around with you know, the art of the possible um, and uh, you're, you know, continually investing and divesting out of your, your technology tools. That definitely has an impact um, because people have challenges with change, right? And so um, if we keep moving the goalposts and we don't really have stability in how we do things and what's expected um, and where we do it um, and how we, uh, you know, demonstrate that we're doing it right, um, that can make it really, really hard, especially, you know, in times like now where I think it becomes more important for organizations to be able to show central evidence that um, they're managing their data correctly, right? You want it to be so simple. Auditor comes to your, your business and they're able to look in one spot and look at everything 
and understand what's going on, know who, to, know who to talk to if they have questions, you know, be able to see associated assets, whatever the case may be, right? Um, and um, and that becomes more challenging when everybody's kind of trying new toys, everybody's kind of picking, well, I feel like I like this one better and I feel like that one is better. It does become also more challenging in terms of like how to manage uh, uh, like a centralized strategy to ensure that people are moving along a journey of 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 maturity. And so, you know, when we when we think about that, uh, you know, and we look at literature, we look at how people, um, you know, describe even in places like LinkedIn, how um, siloed and fragmented things continue to be in the data analytics space. Part of that is that that disconnect that is being caused by, you know, the pace of change of technology and not really bringing people on board <laughs> in order to ensure that like we're truly meeting like what we require. Um, you know, we get, I think, uh, over-invested in the fact that new shiny tools will often tell us uh, we can do much, much, much more. But is your organization even mature enough to do all of those things that that technology promises? So really being sort of realistic about where your people are in the journey and ensuring that, you know, you're developing with them in mind, with them uh, being the center of how do we make this something that can become a repeatable behavior so that even if we do start to upgrade and make changes, right? We've hardened the behavior first and the technology is second. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because obviously, you know, as with hundreds of debate that you see on LinkedIn in a given week, right? Adoption always comes out as one of those things when they're talking about how do you get more value out of the data analytics initiatives that that you're doing. And I think, you know, you're absolutely correct. Most organizations have probably been guilty of um, you know, the, the the shiny toy syndrome, right? This sort of new tech piece of tech comes out, a new, you know, the next shiny thing comes along and everyone's, you know, kind of chasing that because it promises the earth. But as you very rightly say, and especially in large organizations where you've got different levels of maturity and adoption across an enterprise, it becomes really difficult to to manage. I guess just give me some context as to why you brought the kind of notion of user acceptance into your work like what what was it that that drove that because i guess you know i'm just thinking out loud here and this often gets me in a hot water christina but um <laughs> but you know i think many execs are guilty of oh there's this new thing that we've heard of we should go and do this right because it's promising x y and, and z so it's i presume it's a challenge to be you know trying to keep them at arm's length for doing the right things whilst also be seeing to be innovative and open to change, especially as your role is also driving change, right? Yeah. Well, uh, a big one is shelving, right? We, uh, If we look at the spend of companies, uh, it tends to be quite astronomical. And very often, you know, we develop, we deploy, uh, people don't use um, because it's not really meeting user requirements, therefore they don't adopt. Um, and then it becomes shelfware, right? And so that's a lot of money, like when, if you're just looking at the bottom line spreadsheet for your organization, you're probably thinking to yourself, uh, yeah, we seem to be throwing a lot of money at this problem and it's not getting solved, right? So there's, uh, you know, that aspect of, um, you know, a lot of initiatives actually fail because we're, we're, we're feeling that it's not giving the ROI uh, and that ROI is often tied to the, the bottom line for uh, you know, an organization. So we're looking at spend and we're not really feeling that the results results are coming. So, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, an area where um, it, it, it actually takes being a little bit introspective about what have we done to really uh, ensure that, you know, this is priority for us to adopt this thing. Uh, you know, what have we done to ensure people know how to use this thing? What have we done to ensure that, uh, we ourselves understand the purpose of why we want it. Um, you know, how how educated are we as an organization about like the things that we're picking? Because that is, you know, the derailment to success. Um, you know, if we're not very, very clear upfront and we really don't have the strategies around what people need to be doing, um, you know, as let's even call it a minimum <laughs> expectation, uh, and we're not very clear on that, then how do how do we pick um, technologies to really uh, achieve the outcomes that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just give us some practical hints and tips then when you are going through the process of trying to enforce change as it comes to new 
tools and or tech or new new processes or whatever the case may be obviously it's evident that it, that it's a challenge and it's evident that it's a challenge in a bigger organization right because you've got more to get your arms around and you've got more people to try and get on the same page and ultimately as we all know people often don't like to do what they're told for various reasons right how do you how do you manage that is there any kind of you know i guess framework or process or you know train of thought that you follow to really ensure that you're trying to drive everyone in the same direction and you know convince them if you if you will that this is the right thing to do and you know allowing them to understand why and so on and so forth you know the interesting thing about data analytics is that it, it, it sometimes feels like we that we approach the problem like it's a brand new problem and yet you know the problem of change exists in really anything we do whether you're deploying a new project uh for your organization you know whether you're going through a merger or acquisition right the learning actually does exist in in many many places and it really is a matter of you know that interdisciplinary thinking about how do we take from things that are already being done understanding the level of change this is you know when we look at data and analytics again it's not a new thing it's just that over time you know our business users have become more disconnected from the data itself and it has become more and more an IT function in many many organizations what is challenging is bringing the business back into that to have that teaming between the business and business and IT and being cognizant of the fact that um you know in order to do that you know the technology landscape has changed so obviously we're going to have to think about how do we ensure people can are you know relate to the tech and use the tech for what we're asking we know that that's a process change before i didn't have to care about this now i have to be invested in it i actually have to be part of the validation of it right in order for me to get out of data what i want from it all of those things are changing you know for a person uh, is changing their role you know like i said before you're sitting in your department kind of you send an email or an intake through jira or something to a team and say i need this now you're part of that team that is creating the this that you that you wanted um and so you know with any change uh you know any change that is that large right and i always compare you know trying driving change for for data and analytics to like a merger and acquisition of two really big giants um you know have your executive leaders step in and actually say this is the the new rule of law this is what's changing here is how our departments are being you know restructured to kind of support that uh you know you you'll now suddenly have new teammates in that <laughs> merger and acquisition uh you know be deprecating you know technology from one of the companies and trying to consolidate and all of that if we think about data and analytics in a similar a similar way having that executive um leadership that's prioritizing it saying this is happening this is expected this is important how you hire people to support uh the kind of work and outcomes that you're looking for how you you know grade people's performance around you know how they are participating in uh you know and managing data as an added asset or not how you drive policy right that says we expect this of you as an employee same way that we expect you to use your credit card responsibly for the company and here's a set of rules we expect you to handle our data you know the same way and the same implications can happen to you right you misuse your credit card you can get fired you 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 know you mishandle our data you can get fired and so you know really trying to uh leverage existing organizational mechanisms it's not so much about recreation i think that like over time um we have more and more savvy ways and more tools that we can use to kind of help with not just the sticks of policies and and standards but the carrot making it cool you know doing things like podcasts or uh you know really fun videos to kind of help to encourage people around the change and show them what the benefits of of them are so i think that there needs to be a healthy balance between those two things but even that is not new right that is something that is always factored into any significant change that an organization is going through and it just needs to be applied within the data and analytics space yeah 100% i'm i'm glad that you touched upon the carrot and stick analogy because i was just about to ask you is it is it more is it more carrot or is it is it more stick and i guess obviously it's it's finding the the middle ground and the balance as as you very rightly said i mean i think it's it's intriguing that you talk around 
you know, performance being measured by how people are using data, if that is part of their day job, right? And I've had many a conversation actually on this podcast about, you know, what does the future look like with regards to um, things like, I don't know, remuneration, you know, like financial rewards and bonuses tied to this type of stuff. Like, I don't think for many organizations we're there, but I think we might be heading in that di- direction, right? That it becomes almost like part of the performance review that bonuses are tied to. If you're doing the right things, you, you know, you, you're further up the, the, the kind of framework on, on bonuses and things like that. So that'll be an interesting um, space. Obviously you touched quite heavily there upon the importance of exec sponsorship basically and that that being the real driving force behind allowing that change to to happen just kind of talk us through how someone like yourself then works with the exec team to kind of make that happen and and really how influential they have to be in that in that process because i think that's something that a lot of data leaders end up struggling with almost they've been tasked to do that job themselves, right? They, they were brought there to kind of be that change agent, be that influence and maybe the execs, you know, for, for want of a better word, it might be paying a little bit of lip service to the importance of it, but they're just in the mix because they feel like they should be and everyone else is and there's so much hype around the topic, right? So in your opinion, how important is it that the exec team are fully behind this, I guess? Are you ready to accelerate from data-aware to data-driven? Look no further than Dufresne, the data company that's changing the game for businesses like yours. With a global footprint and one of the largest teams of data professionals in the UK, we specialise in helping organisations make the best use of their data, allowing you to harness hidden insights and accelerate your customer experience, growth and run your business with informed decisions. We don't just help you govern and manage data, we help you become AI ready. We become your critical friend. We advise, we translate, we deliver, we execute. With over 100 enterprise clients over five years, join the list of forward-thinking data leaders who are making data a priority for their business. Visit Dufresne.co.uk today and talk to us about our insights across the data landscape. Dufresne, where data meets our data pioneers. I do think it's important that they're 100% behind it. I think that what often happens, and you know, I heard this analogy at one conference where um, someone was saying, I have an enterprise data council, but I go there and nobody says anything, nobody participates. And that actually like demonstrates um, you know, really the gap. Um, there's a, a meme I keep seeing floating on LinkedIn that has the, uh, you know, the stairwell and at the top of it is is AI, and and you know the person is taking a huge step and surpassing all of the things that are, <laughs> you know, have this high expectation. Oh, AI is happening. We're just going to jump to AI, but we have nothing foundational that actually supports us being able to 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 get there. And that's a a big uh, you know education gap, right? So I would say that it really does start with being very intentional about educating. Um, you know, I always have worked in federated environments where we have a central team um, that has, you know, this, res- you know, the responsibility really as almost a center of excellence to to the organization. Um, and so I will tell you that at the beginning, it's always going to be tougher because you actually have to step into that, you know, and I can give, you know, random example of uh, let's uh, let's create emails that have uh, our leaders officially appoint. Um, you know, their uh, data owners, right? Similar to how you would get an announcement about a VP <laughs> in your organization. Oh, we have a new VP that's joined or this VP has changed roles to this this point. Something as small as that, you know, just the email that says this is coming from your top leadership, create it for them and say, just let it come from your inbox and set it to the audience that is the sphere of, influence of this, you know, these data owners that are in your, your department can do, you know, immeasurable, like, uh, you know, uh, progress for that data owner, because suddenly when people see them, hear their name, and that person is knocking on your door and saying, hey, I think you're, you might be a steward because you're doing this kind of work, and I need you to be part of my stewardship, it makes it a lot easier. You know, you you don't have to face the same hurdle with the the manager of that resource to start to explain like why is there value in this person doing that. It's already been said and it is being promoted and championed um, that that's important from the executive layer. 
And so it starts to ease the way um, for that data owner to be able to do their, their job effectively. Um, also, similarly, in terms of just, um, you know, how do we derive value, right? Often, I think that that's the, 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 the burden of many uh, in data is that we can do all these cool things, but we don't necessarily know if our business is feeling the value from it, right? How do we target those things? Well, you know, it comes down to what, what your executive strategy is, what's important, and how does your data align to enabling those those things. Um, if we're doing diff, you know, disparate and siloed things, then you know, if we think about um, you know, from a bottoms-up approach organically, very often stewardships that form that way, um, they're trying to solve a problem that maybe affects them um, day to day, right? And so they start to find the people and corral around them and say, hey, you know, we need to have common language because this report seems to be pulling from the same, you know, table and it's being called <laughs> all these different things across these things. You know, what calculations are associated with it? Can you document that? Can we do, you know, all of these kind of things to help ensure that we have common understanding, we're all using the data the same way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that that rolls up to something that is critical and important or advancing for the organization, right? It, it just means that you've managed to find a group of people that heroically like you um, feel that it's necessary for you to do something to resolve something that is maybe a daily pain point to you. But if it's coming from the top, um, you know, and you have your executive saying, hey, you know, we have these five things that are, you know, really, uh, uh, you know, an issue. And over the next two years, we're going to we're going to tackle these <laughs> these five things because they help serve this objective that makes us more competitive in the marketplace, that makes us uh, more able to respond to an audit, that makes us more able to do this. And the business is telling you that this is what is value um, when that's coming from the top guess what? That trickles down in terms of objectives for everybody, right? Uh, your uh, your annual goals literally should line up to whatever the goals of the organization are. And they do for everything else except in data, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we start to move in that direction to say, okay, you know, from a data perspective, these are the goals. Here's the things that we need to do to achieve. Now, who are the people that we need to work with to make sure that that is achievable, right? Um, and that, I think, starts to change the the, the likelihood that you're going to have successful outcomes. Of course, you're always going to have moments where some things just don't don't work, but that's in any space. It's not specific to data and analytics, right? We're not saying that like, oh, you know, one failure is one failure too 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 many, and that ends up you know uh, disbanding the whole the whole group. And in any area, whether it's your procurement organization or finance, they can't say that they have a hundred percent. Um, uh, achievement of every outcome that they're after, because you know, very often, like you can, you can only do what you can do, and sometimes you find that you're not able to achieve that thing, or you have to delay it, or you have to, whatever. It's going to be true in data and analytics because it's not a a separate and weird thing that exists separate and apart from everything else that an organization does to run. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's it's the intentionality of it to tie it back to the strategic goals of the organization right and i think that's where and i think we're definitely getting better and obviously some organizations are, are much further along that journey than others but i think um you know what i've found from helping organizations to build their capability for in terms of people and resource over the last 13 or so years is that often this journey began very unintentional right it was um uh, maybe a hype thing, maybe a fear of missing out thing, you know, and and pe businesses would go and hire people to go and find the value. And obviously, as soon as you get into the realms of that, you know, you very quickly get labeled a cost center because, you know, you might go and find something that's really cool, super interesting, nice and shiny, but actually it doesn't add any value to the strategy of the business. And therefore, then no action gets taken, right? So it's a uh, it's a really interesting, uh, really interesting space. I wanted to touch briefly, Christina, on the structure of the operating model and and the kind of teams in terms of do you think if that plays a part, especially with regards to adoption and the maturity of different kind of teams as they pop up, you know, I guess between a centralized team and a federated team, because we've all heard, you know, the many stories about, you know, um, different 
domains spinning up their own little environments from a tech and tooling perspective and and so on and so forth. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on how easy or more difficult it becomes based on the operating model. So, uh, you know, I've always worked in federated teams, right? In, in, in a centralized team that supports a federated operating model. And, um, you know, that idea of that center of excellence, that's, you know, creating, you know, a st- the standard for the world, right? What, you know, and then having decentralized teams actually responsible for the execution, right? So we provide, uh, you know, what do you need to know so that you are not doing it differently in your silo from every other <laughs> other silo? How do we uh, monitor and measure you, right? To ensure that you're maturing and we're not using different yardsticks for, for, for different teams. So really being that central coordinating function uh, that uh, enables that, uh, you know, decentralized teams to, to manage it. Why do I think that's necessary? Well, uh, you know, I don't think any central team can truly have full handle on all the data in their organization. You really do need the teams that own the data uh, to have responsibility for it, right? So that having that both worlds and federation means that you do have the oversights, you have uh, a connector, right, that is able to help bring these groups together. Um, I'll tell you that I, I've done that pulling from my knowledge management um, background through communities of practice um, and really trying to make sure that, that there is always representation from someone in each of those siloed um, uh, stewardship bodies uh, to bring them together so that they actually have forums where they can talk about what they're doing, um, they can learn together about what's coming from, you know, from the central team um, and they can exchange ideas. And what it does is it also ensures that like everyone is kind of understanding what's happening and how they may have a role in something that they didn't even realize was going on, right? Because they were sitting in a siloed stewardship. So I do think that in a federated model, the the central team um, really is both, you know, setting the rules of the road, but is also like the internal coordinator to help um, you know, bring alignment and, um, you know, establish necessary connections so that teams aren't offshooting and doing things that can actually be um, in conflict with each other, making, making you know, or exacerbating uh, problems that they're trying to solve. Yeah, 100% makes, um, makes perfect sense. I'm keen, given your knowledge management background, what, where does where does the data literacy conversation fit into all of this around adoption and culture and change and all of that type of, of good stuff? Uh, tenets of, of knowledge management is how do you get knowledge to people just in time? <laughs> right. And so absolutely, those two things are coupled. I think it's very easy to feel like, well, if I create the training and I post it in a learning library, um, you know, um, it, it it will automatically happen. And it's not, there actually has to be strategy around, um, you know, adoption of your training, um, you know, and what are those things that you can do from a sticks perspective around mandating, uh, you know, a certain amount of training for people that, you know, for people that manage data very closely, for people more broadly across the organization, you know, what are those things that you can do uh, from a, you know, how do we just encourage people, you know, how do I make this interesting so that people who don't ordinarily feel like their job is related to data um, are in, are seeing it as a development opportunity, as, a, as something that they could add to their own goals and say, I just want to be smarter about data and I want to invest this year and take my 40 hours of learning, uh, you know, around this and that topic. How do we uh, reward people that are, you know, consistently the ones taking every training and reward them publicly? Um, so that it's shown that like doing doing this is good um, and it is beneficial to you. It will not only be noticed by your 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 manager, but the entire organization will see like, hey, this department or this individual is a uh, you know leading um, in um, in the types of training that they're taking. And all of that, I think, really starts to kind of fit into uh, you know your knowledge management strategy. How do you create uh, content? Um, so that, uh, you know, it's being uh, delivered in a way that that makes sense for the user and they're not having to mine through, uh, you know, content 
uh, to try to figure out what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing, what's relevant, what's not relevant, uh, you know, to them, uh, what would be best bang for their buck? You know, what kind of journeys can we deliver that help people, you know, understand the journey to, you know, education, maturity in their data and analytics journey so that there is like formula around it? How do we create those knowledge exchanges so that we're not, uh, you know, repeating, you know, capturing, if you think of in the project management world where, um, you know, consultants will capture their learnings from every engagement, whether it went well, whether it didn't go, go well, right? That learning too is important because what you want is that you know that nothing is new under the sun. Someone is going to have to repeat something that happened and wouldn't it be great if there was a place that they could go to and learn what not to do so that they could be faster and more agile, <laughs> you know, a uh, little knowledge nuggets of best practices and not so best, best practices, right? So, <laughs> you know, really being able to, to start to pull those things to, together, thinking about your search and discovery experience within your company when it comes to content. Uh, you know, many organizations suffer from having to restart uh, their journeys around data and analytics multiple times. Guess what? Every time you restarted, collateral was developed uh, and it's sitting somewhere. So how do we ensure that people know what the authoritative sources of information are that they should be using so that they're not referencing things that are outdated and misaligned with the current strategy of the organization? So, you know, I do think it's an extremely important component and that those are truly two partner partner disciplines, you know, whereas one is truly about the execution of, you know, the management of data. Like, how do we make sure that people have the resources, they have the connections, they have, um, you know, the trust in what, what they're getting, they have order in what they're receiving so that it's not just a hodgepodge of ad hoc things that they're taking that culminate to, towards nothing. Um, how do they avoid, uh, you know, issues that have already been experienced, you know, so that they can accelerate? Where can they find partners? All of that comes together as part of knowledge management strategies. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. Do, and again, thinking out loud, but do you think that your background in knowledge management has been a kind of real force multiplier for you in regards to helping people along that adoption journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say that it's interesting that as I moved uh, in my own career from knowledge management, data ended up becoming, um, you know, a pretty common transition, actually, for a lot of people that I knew that worked in, in knowledge management. So I do, I do think that 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 comes in. But I think that, you know, more than anything in the knowledge management space, like there is a huge focus on human behavior. And, you know, how do we how do we ensure that uh, people get the best out of the knowledge that the organization has? How do we reduce reinvention? Uh, because that costs money. How do we, uh, you know, accelerate learning? Because that costs money, right? We think about when you hire a new person on, if I could trim down the onboarding experience from six months to three weeks, my goodness, right? And now I have an extremely effective em em employee uh, very, very quickly, it's not costing me six months of salary to get them up to speed to then discover that they still don't have everything that they need to be effective in their role, right? Mm -hmm. So in a, in a knowledge management world, uh, it absolutely does, uh, you, you know, focus on on the person <laughs> and how to ensure that they they have what they need in time for them to be effective and being able to translate that into to data and thinking about the fact that like it's very fragmented, it's very um, uh, you know immature in most parts of many organizations. How do we make sure that we start to you know think of those things as like how do we onboard people to data so that they know not three years from now, but within three months from now, they are you know extremely comfortable uh, with what is expected of them as an organization, what their role in managing data is who to go to for certain types of things so that they're not spinning up something because they don't even realize someone else is already doing it and there's duplicative effort. All of these things are not only time wasters, but they're also money money wasters for the organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, so I do some, um, I don't know what you call it, course educating, I guess, as part of a, a, a business Um and as part of that process, I received some formal training on how to present 
in a learning environment. Um, and to be honest with you, it absolutely blew my mind because, you know, naturally from the outside looking in, having never received any training in that realm before, I think most people's natural reaction is you have the content, you tell the content, you explain the benefits of what it is that you're teaching, right? And and from that, hopefully people take it away. And and what I learned from that training was actually it's not it's not the content. Obviously, the content is important, but it's how the content is delivered so that people have a better learning experience. And I was like, wow. And and that's just kind of I've translated that into everything that I do now, even in business, right? And it's it's so it's crazy that it's that there is a an art and a method to the madness, you know, which makes it um, when, when I hear all of these debates around, you know, adoption and change and getting people to change mindsets and behaviors and so on and so forth, I do wonder whether there's a big, almost a big discipline that's missing here within that kind of learning and knowledge management space, which is, is really interesting. Um, Christina, really conscious of time. So I've got one more question for you. Then I want to try and finish on a, on a story. Cause you told me a story when we first met that, um, had me laughing, um, for, <laughs> for a while so i guess just to finish then in your eyes and i guess within the role that you're currently operating in how, how much of a link or what is the link between the value that you and your team create for the organization and the whole kind of concept of user acceptance and adoption like how how does that inter interplay with each other uh well i guess i can i can talk about in terms of like uh you know what is what does it look like uh in terms of like how do how do those things come to life uh it requires really quite a lot of branding right to that resonates with the organization organizational culture um you know that makes um what we do um valuable and interesting to people so that they're willing to give it a chance so there's actually quite a bit of creativity um, that uh, tries to wrap this very serious concept uh, together and make them relatable <laughs> to the people that we we uh, we are trying to enable um, and educate and try to you know bring them on board uh, this journey to being you know much you know mas- masters of of data I guess in 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 their organization and um, it's interesting how it's kind of taken you know uh, different you know, different forms uh, in terms of like, how do we brand these things so that they feel accessible so that people will give it a chance? And how do we kind of capture the, the you know, the spirit? Um, I was kind of uh, laughing with you prior and telling you that like, and absolutely, you also want to own your own own branding. You don't want that to be told to you because I've had the different experiences where I've branded the program around, you know, running the play, uh, knowing the play, run with us, right? And using some some of that language that helps, uh, you know, people feel activated and excited about like being a part of the the data journey. Whereas I've also had the experience where it was branded for me um, in in a meeting where you know the executive sponsor, um, you know, was really really quite a, a fantastic public speaker, and he. Um, you know, he was in a meeting in an all hands with us where he kind of kept, uh, you know, t- saying things that felt uh, that they were diminishing <laughs> the area that I supported in data. And so, you know, at a break, I go up to him and I say, hey, you know, you're you're the sponsor. You have to be promoting us. This is already very dry material and very difficult for people to ingest and understand. And, you know, most most of the time, like the door is being closed on us because no one wants to have to deal with trying to understand what it is that we do. So if you don't support us, we're never going to be successful. And so he uh, immediately post that conversation, went up on the stage and said to uh, the entire organization that I was going to bring sexy back. Right. And that became the branding <laughs> for, the, for the program. It did open doors, but it wasn't my preferred branding for the organization. So I will say that like, uh, you know, as as we think about like how do we bring bring all of it together, tying the people, tying the you know the idea of like technology acceptance or user acceptance and the adoption, the behavioral change, it all has to be packaged really really well uh, in a common strategy that really does an excellent job around branding and making um, what you're doing exciting, relatable, something that people want to be a part of. 
um, you know, something that, uh, you know, you know, suggests that there is, you know, there's something on the other side of this that, you you know, you can have access to. And there's this, you know, everybody else uh, is kind of getting on board. You should to uh, to bring people along in, in the journey. Yeah. So you became known as the the woman that was going to bring sexy back. And for all the, the listeners out there, that's in reference to the Justin Timberlake song, right? And you said that when you walked in a room, they'd, they'd play that song. <laughs> I had I had many interesting encounters with with, uh, with the bringing sexy back. And uh, <laughs> I even received a card on my departure from the company that that said I brought it back. Uh, and so, you know, it, it it's always stuck with me. But you know, I will say that one of the things that it did teach me is how that power of executive sponsorship um, can make such a difference. Because, you know, to the point, I owned a, a, a program that, um, you know, no one cared about. It was often compared to, you know, the power, the electric lines, you know, inside the walls. Like no one wanted to see it. We know it's necessary, but no one wants to see electrical wires inside their house. Um, we just want it to work, Right. Um, and, uh, and then really being able to have him, uh, you know, step in and promote us <laughs> the way he did made people very curious about what we did, uh, made people start to think about additional use cases that what we did could support and enable, right? And, and you know, from a very, very small program that served, you know, a few content systems, it ended up growing to be the program that supported, you know, the people, the risk the financials, you know, and the content strategy for the entire organization globally, right? So uh, definitely uh, a, a good learning uh, from from working in his department. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christina, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I know that you need to kickstart your day, obviously, out there in, uh, in Portland, Oregon. So um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And um, yeah, look forward uh, to speaking to you again very soon. It was lovely talking to you. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our Bishon Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.